Welcome to 360 Degrees of Healthcare with Dr. Stan, an in-depth look at our industry from our very own Chief Medical Officer, who will talk with other medical and industry professionals on the changing and evolving landscape of the healthcare system from the inside. Thanks for joining us. My name is Stan Schwartz. I'm an infectious diseases physician with decades of experience in healthcare as a student, a teacher, a fellow, a researcher, a practicing physician in both solo and group practices, a health system executive, and now a healthcare entrepreneur, and as I get older, as a patient. I want to share my 360-degree view of healthcare with you. My thanks to Zero Studios for support of this podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My guest is uh, not only a professional colleague, but someone I know pretty well and I consider a friend, Dr. Scott Conard. Dr. Conard is the founder of Converging Health. It's a corporation, it's an entity that works with corporations and providers to improve how healthcare is delivered in America. And Dr. Conard is also my colleague on the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions, Medical Advisory Council, in which he is the primary medical advisor, chief medical advisor. And I'm really happy to have him on today to talk about primary care, because this is not only his passion, it's my passion also. So Scott, let's start with a fundamental question. What is going on with primary care? We have fewer and fewer family doctors, especially internal medicine doctors. And I just saw yesterday that the average age of a primary care provider physician in the United States is now is now so high that 25% are over the age of 60 and nearing retirement. What are we doing with primary care? Well, um, as a person who's over 60, who's a primary care doctor, I feel like I can uh, answer that very, very well. And that is, uh, so uh, Stan, it's great to talk with you. Thank you for having me be here today. And I hope that the listeners, I hope you walk away from today with a new understanding of why primary care is so important to you as a person. And if you happen to be an HR or a CFO or a CEO at a corporation, and you're trying to figure out what do we do about health benefit costs and how do we manage them well, I hope you'll have some new insights too. And so, you know, first of all, Stan, I think we need to find what is a primary care physician um, and what do primary care physicians do? Because we generally think about family doctors, pediatricians, internal medicine doctors. And then if you're a woman uh, between the ages of uh, whatever, 17, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there and uh, 50, um, often your primary care doctor is your OBGYN doctor. So um, what is a primary care doctor? And given the fact that uh, you have tremendous passion around this, Stan, why don't you start by sharing what you see it as being, and I'll share with you what I see in the marketplace today. I look at the primary care doctor as your touch point to the healthcare system, your advocate, your, your, your guidance, your sensei, your navigator, your confidant, someone who really helps you engage with the healthcare system and can take care of most of your ordinary problems and helps you figure out where to go when it's not an ordinary problem. I agree completely. So let me say that back to you um, in the words that I would use. And that is that uh, in healthcare today, uh, the way doctors get paid is through transactions. Here's a code, here's a code, here's a code, here's a code. And what doctors are is really effective at collecting codes, sending them into an insurance company and having a check arrive in the mail. 
And I know that that seems strange because we're talking about the health of people and I'm talking about the health economics, but the truth is that today's healthcare system is, is um, strongly driven by the fee-for-service um, uh, mechanism of payment. And so transactional care is often specialty care. The exception of that's probably cancer care and kidney care, you know, uh, chronic renal failure where the, the doctors step in to a long-term relationship um, with people. Otherwise, most of the time, it's a procedure, it's an analysis, it's a surgery, and they send you out. And primary care is a relationship. It, for me, what I want from my primary care doctors, I want them to know me, not as, um, as a mechanical engine with a heart and a gut and you know, two legs, two arms and a brain, but actually as a human being, married, four kids, um, works hard, um, would, would work, put work before my personal, you know, kind of a health sometimes, as silly as that sounds, but it's true. And who's deeply passionately committed to my, my purpose in life. And I want that primary care doctor to see me as a whole person, physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, financially in the sense of what I can and can't afford. Um, and I want that person to be my, as you said, confidant, guide, leader through the system. And so for those of you listening today, um, I would ask you to ask yourself, you know, is that the relationship I have with the person I consider my family doctor or my primary care doctor? And if the answer is no, you probably wanna go uh, think about finding a new one. If your answer is yes, then you're among those that I would call blessed. So what's going on with primary care today is that you have several generations. You have the old guys like, no offense, Dan, but you and me, that uh, we've been around a long time. And uh, we went into medicine uh, when the average family doctor uh, got paid a fraction of what they uh, get paid today. And where, um, and most of us are not, motivated by money. In fact, most of us live paycheck to paycheck. We haven't done a great job of putting money away for the future. We aren't, you know, all wrapped around the axle when it comes to personal wealth. Um, our conversations aren't, uh, what are you investing in today and things like that. Uh, our conversations with each other is, how's your family? What's going on? Where are you going to take vacation this year? How's the practice? Um, those kind of things. And so we have a very, uh, a, a predictable mindset and we care deeply about the human beings that we've been charged with caring for. As you go down the spectrum and you get younger and younger and younger and younger, what one tends to see is, is a group of people who probably are a little mentally healthier than those of us who came out a long time ago that were working too many hours a week, that are looking for a family life. They're looking for a better balance. They're looking for um, a great relationship with patients, but they put boundaries around their lives in a way that the older docs, we didn't do a very good job of. And so they're not going to work 60 or 70 hours every week. They're going to work 40 or 45 hours and they're going to have a family life. So even if you have the same number of providers in that generation, as we had in our generation, uh, the number of people who could be seen per day is going to go down pretty dramatically because their orientation is different. So the thing I hear more regularly than any other I don't want to call it a critique. It's more of a comment or an observation is I could never get in to see my regular doctor when I'm sick. I have to wind up going to urgent care. 
how can the doc have a relationship with me if I can't get in when I'm sick? Yeah, Sometimes I need to be seen the same day. Yeah, and the continuity of care is vital. So in an ideal world, what? Uh, so let's talk about an ideal primary care system and let's talk about what you see in the marketplace today. And um, and I think that the, the, the key to going from what we have today to ideal is prepayment. It's a different payment model. And we're gonna come back to that later on. But, um, you know, the way that um, in, a, in a functional system, uh, it would work is that every primary care doctor would have their, their group of people that they're, that they're meant to care for. And they would get paid to care for the group of people and make sure that they were guided well. What we have today is a doctor who's on a um, gerbil wheel that, that has to send, you know, a certain number of codes in a day. A primary care doctor today, of the first 12 patients they see is to pay for their staff and their office. After patient number 12, they actually get to start making money to take home and they're making it at 75 to $100 a pop, uh, you know, and, and so if they get to 18 or 20 patients, they've had a really good day and, um, and they, you know, they've actually, they're going to get a paycheck that day. If they're seeing 12 or fewer, then, you know, they're working for the benefit of the staff and the office, but they're not going to get anything. So that encourages uh, primary care doctors to fill up their schedule, put heads in the beds, knock out your 18, 20, 24 patients a day, and, um, and then take a deep breath because you know you're going to get a paycheck from that day's work. Um, and by the way, if you want to take a half day off, then you've got another, you know, then you've got to make up because on most half days, you're going to see 12 patients. So you're just going to pay for the office. So, you know, if you do do better on the first four days of the week, then, you know, you got to distribute that over five days. So it's, it's a, it's a very much being on a treadmill and trying to keep going and running. And what that's incented doctors to do is fill their schedules. It hasn't encouraged them to develop longitudinal long-term relationship, caring relationships with the people they serve. As a patient, how do I figure out what my doctor's getting paid for? How do I figure out if there are doctors trying to get heads through the door or they're getting paid based on how happy they make me or how well they treat my whatever it is, blood pressure, diabetes, hypertension, and so forth? Well, that's the perversion of the system today. And um, for those that are listening that are uh, HR, CFO, CEOs, somebody who makes decisions around health benefits in your company, um, I would just really, uh, I'm going to use strong language here, so please forgive me, but you're getting exactly what you're paying for. You've created a, a perfect system to get more, faster codes generated so people can make a living, and you're getting a lot of codes. Um, if you want something different for your employees, then please pay for something different and please uh, compensate providers for taking great care of people. Every company has a primary care strategy. Most of them don't know what it is and they're not managing it, so it's a mess. And what I'm encouraging, and I know Stan, I think you would be aligned with me on this, is um, to create a primary care strategy. And an ideal primary care strategy would look like um, prepayment. So you say to a doctor, hey, I've got 100 employees and family members, whatever, doesn't matter the number. Um, if it starts to get you know, over three or 400, it could be a bit of a problem. You might have to have two or three conversations with the great doctor. And you say, you know, I want my people taken care of. I want them to have access. I want you to know them. I want you to care for them. And I want you to be available to them. So um, my uh, request is that you um, 
is, you know, I will prepay you. Now, here's another number um, for uh, the corporate leaders is that five to 7% of U.S. healthcare is spent on primary care. So if you're paying $10,000 a year um, for your healthcare, then $50, you know, and that's, let's say $1,000 a month is what it is, then $50 a month is going to primary care. So if you paid a family doctor $50 per person every month, um, year per employee every month, then you basically would not be paying any more for primary care. And you'd be rewarding primary care for getting to know your people and being available to them. So you, you talked earlier, Stan, about um, concierge medicine. And what is concierge medicine? How does that work? And that's exactly what we're talking about, where a doctor says, hey, if you'll pay me a certain amount of money, um, $150 a month, um, then I will be available to you. I will commit myself to you. I will, you can call me on the phone. If you need to come in, you can come in, but we're just going to get you taken care of. And they turn their practice upside down to be a service model and a healthcare model instead of an illness code generating model. And they make themselves available. But I remember, you know, from the HMO days where I was totally embroiled in that upheaval in medicine that, you know, we kept hearing that people who were in HMOs where, you know, their care was paid for month over month, not by the amount of care they had, but just they were, doc got a certain amount of money per month. And they always got that feeling that, you know, the doctor didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that because they're already getting paid. Why would they want to spend more money? How do we avoid that from happening? Yeah, well, so you and I both went through the HMO disaster and uh, it was the right idea. But the difference between today and then is data and information and information systems and and our understanding of chronic conditions and how chronic conditions work and how you prevent disease and how you prevent chronic conditions from advancing. So back in the 1990s, 92 was when that whole mess began. By 95, 96, 97, we had care and Traveler's Insurance and um, you know, those beasts that were Pacific Care that were, you know, coming to us and saying, we're going to pay you $11 a month to take care of people. I don't know if you remember that, Stan, but we were getting paid $11 per month per person to care for people. And that wasn't enough money to pay for our staff. And so what we had to do was we had to figure out, um, you know, uh, how to stay in business and make a living. And we didn't have any systems. We didn't have data. We weren't on EMRs. Uh, in general, very few doctors were at the time. And so we were shooting from the hip in the blind with a system we'd never worked on before. So that is very different than what we have today. And what we have today, and, and you know, and the other thing, let me finish the thought about chronic diseases. Every person in your company, if you're in HR, um, or every one of you listening to this, um, there are certain things that are going to happen in your body over time. And you actually kind of want them to happen. You know, it's like wrinkles of the skin. We all want to get wrinkles because that means we're alive. If you die with no wrinkles, you died in your 20s or 30s. And so better to have wrinkles and, and, and you know, when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, than never get one. So it's uh, blood pressure. We know that, um, that uh, 80% of people, when they reach an age of 80 to 85 years old will have what's considered high blood pressure. 
we understand, you know, all sorts of changes that occur in the human body. And so when you look at humans, you look at um, their, what they call, we call cardiometabolic, which is your heart uh, health and blood vessel health and diabetes health. And we know that everybody goes through basically four stages, pre-disease where you have nothing wrong, um, or actually you could say perfectly healthy. Then you have pre-disease where things start to change, but you don't meet the criteria for the illness. Then you have the disease without complications and then complications appear. And so like, with, I'll give you a quick example, blood pressure, um, you have, you know, you're a kid, you're running around, you have no issues with blood pressure. You're thin, you're fit, you're active, blood pressure is perfect. Then you get married, you have kids, you're working too much, you gain some weight, you get pre-hypertension, which is where you are below 140 over 90, as an example. And then you get hypertension as over time, as your blood vessels get stiffer and um, your blood pressure goes up. And then eventually you have strokes, heart attacks, congestive heart failure, kidney failure, all of the things that come from longstanding high blood pressure. And the truth is as individuals, we can identify where we are on that, that, on that continuum any moment and drive it back toward health. So great primary care docs are looking at your heart health your blood vessel health, your diabetes health, your strength and physical fitness, um, your risk of cancer appearing in your body and what those look like. And all of the other common conditions that we see, they're putting every patient on that continuum and saying, where, they are, where are you? And how do I keep you from getting worse or even better? How do I make sure you never get that condition? And today our understanding is completely different than it was in the 1990s or early um, 2000s. And what we're able to do as healers, as primary care docs, is much greater. So I read the other day that all these things that you've described are considered diseases of civilization. And, you know, does it really have to be my primary care doctor who asks me whether I'm on a Mediterranean diet or a Chick-fil-A diet or whether I exercise or not? I mean, shouldn't primary care have the resources that it doesn't take a doctor's time to figure out all those things and, and put me together as a whole person? So when you ask what's going on with primary care, here's what I think is going on. Um, if you develop a system that is a, a system designed to actually help people age well, and my mission statement is life is to add years to your life and life to your years by empowering you to take control of your health. Because the truth is, uh, no one eats for you, no one drinks for you, no one sleeps for you, no one exercises for you, no one goes to the doctor for you, no one gets cancer screening tests or gets your medication or takes your medication, but one person, and that's you. So you determine how long and how well you live. Now, you need your primary care doctor to be able to say, look, here's what's coming up. Here's the intersections we're going to cross. Here's the places that people, you know, hit spots and end up in a ditch. And here's how you prevent that. So, uh, a really effective primary care is not a person, it's a team. And the team consists of um, the most trusted person in healthcare today is the primary care doctor's nurse. It's not the primary care doctor, it's his nurse. And the, a primary care doctor needs a navigator. A navigator is somebody who, when I go in a room with somebody and my nurse has checked them in and now my nurse is going to draw their blood or give them a, a, you know, a tetanus or a pneumonia shot or, um, 
you know, do whatever we need to do to help them taken care of. There's a navigator in the room with me and, or with, excuse me, with her saying, okay, well, Dr. Conard has said that you need to do the following three things. You need to see our dietitian. Uh, we need to have you see a physical therapist to try to, um, you know, make sure that that hip problem you're having doesn't keep you from exercise, whatever you get the idea. And often the other, the third one is a stress counselor or a psychological counselor. Um, you know, we need to get you into, to deal, to, to learn some new ways to deal with stress or, or to your anxiety, depression, because we know after and with COVID, um, mental health has become incredibly common and severe. So the navigator is setting up all the follow-up, including the follow-up appointment. And then the individual goes and does whatever they do. It may be nothing, but it may be any of the things we just talked about. And then the person would come back in, you as the patient would come back in, and we would start that process again. So there'd be a team approach and you would get the level of care you deserve. And doctors aren't the best teachers for physical activity. They aren't in physical therapy. They aren't the best teachers for diet and exercise, even sleep and stress management, not the best at all. And so what you want is that doctor's office that actually has those other resources that are part of the team. So when they do things, the doc knows and the doc can get them to do things. So I'm HR. Okay. I've been tasked by my CFO to cut back on my healthcare costs and get better healthcare for my employers, my employees and their, and their covered members. So how do I start this journey? I mean, who gives me a template? Who helps me learn how to shop for this? Who helps me cut through the fog and the jargon to really find, you know, team-based care that's humanistic, that's holistic, et cetera, et cetera. Because everybody says they're high quality. Everybody says, you know, they're going to do the best possible job and they got the best resources and all of that. How do I actually do this? Well, it sounds like a chuchacabra right now, doesn't it? It sounds like it'd be very hard to find. And every, you know, uh, the healthcare is practiced regionally. It's practiced in your area. And uh, it's not practiced nationally. Uh, there's so much differentiation across the United States. It's ridiculous. So what you're looking for is a practice that believes in these principles. And um, Stan, I know you and I were part of developing actually what we call a placemat that has the, the six or seven key tenets of primary care. And you could share that with the listeners that wanted to call in and say, hey, could I get that placemat? Or I don't know if you have a place we could put it on where we're talking about, because you and I developed that through the National Alliance. And so you're looking for a practice that has these characteristics. And um, sometimes your insurance company can actually help you find those. Sometimes they can't. Uh, sometimes your broker can help find that. I would put pressure on both of them and say, hey, I'm looking for this and they hand them the, the placemat that, you, that I'm talking about or the, the thing that talks about the, the principles you and I are talking about right now, team-based care, um, preferably prepayment if we possibly can do that, uh, comprehensive care, chronic disease management, preventive focus to the care and working um, again with the social worker, with the pharmacist, with the dietitian, with the physical therapy team to make sure that people get convenient care with many fewer um, barriers. So you're pretty much going to just have to figure out for your community or the communities where you have employees, because many of the companies I work with um, have employees spread out throughout the entire United States. Where can you find that? And then how do you just 
make it available to your people. It's as simple as that, but that's it's much more challenging just because it's hard. Right now, primary care doctors aren't getting paid for this. So primary care doctors who develop the system are the passionate ones that want to do the right thing, even though they're not going to get paid in a way that actually makes any sense. So you are part of the solution if you will do that, because you'll start paying doctors to do the right thing, and then you'll get other doctors. If three, you know, uh, there's a guy who many of us uh, really enjoy hearing from uh, named Dave Chase, and his contention is if three employers in a geographic area will demand high quality advanced primary care, that it will take off in that community. Because once you taste it, you'll never go back. You'll never go to mediocrity again. And Stan, the other thing is, we keep talking about advanced primary care. We did a statistical analysis recently where we looked at primary care. It does seeing a primary care doctor predict lower costs and better quality? And the answer to the question was no. Does seeing advanced primary care predict lower costs and higher quality? The answer is yes. So it's not, more is not better, better is better. And so you've got to find, you've got to find those advanced primary care centers that we're talking about. Okay, so hypothetically, I'm HR, I've done my homework, and I found out that Joe's high quality primary care clinic checks all the boxes. And I sign up with Joe's clinic. How do I know in six months or 12 months have I gotten what I thought I was buying? So here are metrics. So the company I run is called Converging Health. And we do, um, we do data analytics for corporations. And here are metrics that we report to our companies. You ready? Yes. Uh, how many people in your company are receiving appropriate care? And we define appropriate care as they're seeing their, they have seen their primary care doctors, they've gotten their biometrics ordered, you know, their blood work ordered, and that they're getting preventive care. Their preventive care is up to date. So if they need a pap smear, mammogram, colonoscopy, um, a flu shot, a pneumonia shot, those things are done. If they do that, then we say the, the, the X percent of your company are receiving appropriate care. Then we have healthy. Healthy means they're doing all the things I just talked about and their biometrics are at goal. So their blood pressure, blood sugar, um, and cholesterol, and their weight and height for their height, we use BMI or weight circumference, are at goal. That is a healthy person. So you could start by saying to your broker and your insurance company, I want to know what percentage of my company is healthy. And then you and then over time, if you've got a primary care provider that's doing a great job, what you'd see is the percentage of primary uh, people in your company that are healthy is going up. And, um, and you would be able to, to actually appreciate the quality of work that's being done for you. On the flip side, here's some key metrics you want to ask your broker consultants and your insurance company for. How many medically homeless people are employed in my company? And we have two levels of medically homeless. One is PCP homeless, meaning they don't have a primary care doctor that they've seen in the last one year or two years. We report on both of those. Secondly is all doctor homeless. They haven't seen any doctor in the last 12 months or 24 months. And you know, if they're a 18 year old, perfectly healthy person with no diagnoses, that everything's a goal, then maybe it's appropriate to go two years without seeing a doctor. But when 70% of our country is uh, adults in our country are overweight and obese, it's every 12 months or so that you want to have them be seen. The next, I, yeah, go ahead. 
Should primary care be at no cost to these members if you really want them to get to do those things? So, you know, a big part of what I talk about with the companies I serve is um, how do we remove barriers? And the two key barriers that you've got to remove are um, the cost of going to a primary care doctor and the cost of chronic medications, the medications for hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, things like that. And um, it is worth your investment as a corporation to reduce the cost and the barriers for those two things as much as possible. If you're big enough, have an on-site clinic. I mean, if you've got seven or 800 employees or more in one geographic location, or then you, you can save a lot of money by having an on-site or near-site clinic. If you're not that big, then you can, and this is another way that uh, you asked me earlier how HR could do this, uh, go to the on-site or near-site clinic companies in your area and see if they provide a near-site alternative, which is exactly what we're talking about. Um, it is a prepaid advanced primary care um, system that would be available to you. So, and I know there are a lot out there that are doing that today. So um, again, uh, the, there are metrics that you want to follow, right? It's not just enough to hire these companies. You have to get your data and without data, you're blind. You don't know if it's working or not working, but with data, you can look at your medical homeless rate. You can look at your healthy rate. You can look at, we have another category we call medically lost, which means they've gone to an ER visit or an inpatient admission, or they've had an outpatient procedure and or advanced imaging, and they have not followed up with anybody. Like nobody knows, um, you know, what's going on with this person because they never got appropriate follow-up. We call those people lost. And then we have what we call out of sync with their primary care doctor. That means that they had one of the things we just talked about happen, but they didn't check in with their primary care doctor and the doctor doesn't even know that they've had to deal with that. So get the metrics to find out if your population is lost, homeless, out of sync, or healthy. And if you see that, if you, if you have a relationship with the right organization or the right primary care docs, it'll get better. If you don't, it won't get better and you've got to find a different solution. So I've got a company, let's say I've got a thousand covered members and we have a Blue Cross or Aetna or United plan. And those thousand covered members are seeing, you know, 50 different primary care doctors, pediatricians, internists, and so forth. I mean, it seems like the only place I could collect the data would be either from the payer, United Health or Blue Cross, or maybe if we have a local health information exchange, I could get at least de-identified data how, on how well my members are being cared for. What, well, do, what do I do? Yeah, so the great thing about a state like Oklahoma, where you do have a, um, the, the health exchange is that the doctors in that company can get, in that state, excuse me, can get that information. And so they can literally see what's going on with people by logging into um, the, the, the health information exchange. And, and I get that it's an extra step, but they need, to, they need to do that as a part of their commitment to their patients. If the patient has uh, multiple chronic diseases, is on multiple medications, or has been struggling recently, they need to go get that information. And so I think those are incredibly valuable tools. And I wish that every state in the United States had those. And they need to make sure that they, they, the practitioners are working and, and using that information. Um, and yes, you're right. When I was I, I, in my last position in 2006 to 2010, I was the chief medical and strategy officer for a medical group. All I had was the data from the doctors that saw the patient that was in our group. 
when I left that group and I started to work with employers, oh my gosh, I was in heaven because I could get the data from on all of the doctors that people had seen and of all of the medicines they'd gotten and all of those practitioners and what they had done to the, to the members. So that's what we do today is we take that claims data, the pharmacy data and the eligibility data and the biometric data whenever we can get it. And we look at what's going on with people. Because again, 85% of costs are related to chronic disease. Chronic diseases are predictable. You can very easily figure out if people are getting great care, mediocre care, or poor care, just by looking at your data. So let me loop back to what we said in the beginning. So if I'm HR and I am looking for better primary care, I mean, should the payment model, not fee-for-service, prepaid, should the payment model be a primary decision point before I go any further? Well, in an idealistic world, and with old codgers like you and me, we didn't go into medicine uh, as a way to make money and to get rich. We went into medicine to serve people, and it was secondary to us. So it didn't matter whether you paid us in apples, bananas, chickens, or and whether you paid us uh, fee-for-service or um, you know, uh, advanced prepaid care. I mean, we pretty much went in because of our passion. Um, but the realistic situation is that uh, we have to play the game by the rules that are given to us. And so we have to be um, coding experts who submit codes at a given rate in order to stay in business. And so, you know, the question you're asking me is, uh, does it matter what the doctors are focused on in order to make a living? And I think it does. I absolutely think it does. If you want the doctors to be focused on health and well-being of the people in your company, then reward them for that. If you want them to be fancy coding experts, then reward them for that. And unfortunately, that's what we've got in the United States right now. And we've proven beyond a reasonable doubt that that system leads to the 35th or 36th worst quality of uh, in the developing world. It is twice as expensive as any other country's healthcare system. So in every other country in the world, they pay what you and I pay for Medicare and they get all healthcare. In the United States, we all pay for Medicare and then we pay our healthcare premiums. We pay over twice as much for healthcare as any place in the world. It's ridiculous. So let, let's look at one last topic before we wrap up. And that is where we started at the beginning. We're looking at 25% of the primary care physician workforce retiring in the next 10 years. We're looking at the population growing. These diverging trends don't really presage having primary care doctors for everybody. It just isn't gonna happen. We're seeing a rapid growth in advanced practice providers, such as advanced practice nurses, physician assistants, or as they wanna be called these days, physician associates, providing more and more care, especially, you know, in rural areas and in urgent care areas. What do you foresee in 10 or 15 years? Are we all going to have an advanced practice provider supervised perhaps by a physician, you know, three or four working under a physician? Or should we expect to have a doctor? So you're talking about structure and I want to focus on function. So I think that here's what the ideal healthcare system is for the United States of America. We take all the data, we put it into the engine. We know what everybody needs. We know who needs care and who doesn't need care. And we also know that in a fee-for-service environment, there's a lot of 
extra inappropriate care delivered. So we stop that noise immediately because all care is danger has some level of danger to it. So we don't want extra things done. Then we say, who would be the best person be in order to take care of this individual? And here's the difference I see between a doctor and an advanced practitioner. And I think there's a big difference between nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. Absolutely a huge difference. So I'm gonna put physician's assistants in the same bucket as physicians. They're really great diagnosticians. They're really great at talking to a person, figuring out what's going on, figuring out what that person needs. And then at that moment, they pretty much wanna move on to the next room because the challenge is done. Nurses and advanced nurse practitioners are very much around the relationship and around that person and what they know. So if they sat and talked to somebody about what is blood pressure, how does blood pressure work, what things contribute to it from a diet, exercise, sleep, stress point of view, and that person walked out and was better equipped to face the world, they would feel really excited about that in general because they come from a teaching model, from a health literacy model, from a relationship-driven model. Whereas doctors, I mean, I hate to say it, we come from a transactional model where it's our job to figure out what's going on and, and send that person to the right place. So if you were to look at our country, for people who are stable, who are managing their chronic diseases, they would all be better off seeing an advanced nurse practitioner. For people who are unstable, or there's a change in their health, and they don't, they have belly pain, chest pain, back pain, they have uh, burning of their feet and they can't figure out what's going on. They um, they coughed up or, or went to the restroom and saw blood. Those people need a doctor. They need a clinician who's got a ton of experience with um, dealing with with uh, figuring out medical mysteries and 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 walking it through. And you get in trouble when you get somebody who's a nurse practitioner who has very limited uh, training and experience in very uh, unstable or severely ill patients forced to take care of that. That's a, that's a fish out of water. On the other hand, if you take a doctor and you ask him to talk about cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, congestive heart failure, AFib, for the 13th time that day, they're going to want to pull their hair out where a nurse practitioner often will feel really uh, acknowledged and rewarded for that. So when we talk about team-based care, I believe the ideal thing is we have the data, we know what everybody needs. We engage people at the level of their need. Acute, unstable, severely ill, complex, that needs uh, uh, you know, a highly experienced and trained doctor. Uh, chronic disease, garden variety, maybe three of them, maybe four of them, maybe five medications. An advanced nurse practitioner will kill that. She'll do, he'll do very, very well in that arena. And then you've got the team around them, the psychologist, the social worker, the pharmacist, the, um, the um, physical therapist, that all of them have to be coordinated. So in an ideal world, where we get to in primary care, is that there's a team-based approach. People are re-engaged in the team at the time that their skill set is needed. And that person is being guided through their life, adding years to their life and life to their years, and they're empowered to take control of their health. And so with data informatics today, what I'm describing not only is possible, but it's starting to happen around the United States. And if you're in a corporation, get your data, look at it, see how many homeless, lost, disconnected people as compared to healthy and getting appropriate care people you have in your clinic and very simply start decreasing the first group and increasing the second and your healthcare costs will come down. Scott, I really appreciate the conversation today and I'm going to ask you 
to send us your favorite primary care learning resources, which I'll put in the show notes today. And where, where, before we do that, where should be the first place that an HR person looks? First of all, they need to admit, I have a primary care strategy and I don't know what it is. Secondly, they need to have a conversation with their uh, broker consultant and with their insurance company and say, um, I have a primary care strategy to get my people better primary care at a lower cost with fewer barriers. Tell me what you think we need to do for next year to make sure that happens. Or what can I do immediately? And if they look at you like you've got a third eye and you don't know what you're speaking about, or they give you some political doublespeak, then you need to get in touch with, they need to join your uh, well okay, uh, or they need to get in touch with a broker consultant that actually will talk to them about these issues and guide them the right way. Because it's too much to expect an HR person, CFO, CEO, to understand these issues. You've got to have consultants around you um, and advisors that will help you walk it out. And I will tell you right now in the United States, this is a huge movement. You would not be alone. People are solving this problem. And there is an accessible, excellent primary care strategy for you and your company. Scott, thank you very much. My guest today has been Scott Conard, MD. Scott is the founder of Converging Health, a company that works with corporations and providers to improve how healthcare is delivered in America. And Scott is also the chief medical advisor for the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. A quick plug, if you have a coalition in your area, go visit them, go talk to them because there's a lot of resources for you. Scott, thank you very much. That's my pleasure. Thank you, Stan. I can't wait for us to continue to solve this problem together. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to Zero Studios for sponsoring this podcast. Zero Health worked with mid-sized, self-insured employers to help them save up to 50% on their health care by connecting employers and healthcare providers in the healthcare marketplace, and at the same time providing a great benefit to employees. Learn more on the web at zero.health or send an email to info at zero.health. We hope you've enjoyed the time with our very own Dr. Stan for 360 Degrees of Healthcare with Dr. Stan Schwartz, a part of Zero Studios. Tune in, subscribe, and review our podcast to keep current with the ins and outs of the medical and healthcare industry from the inside out. <laughs>